Now turn with me in your Bible this morning to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to read again from verse 12 right down to verse 20. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, down to verse 20. And as you're turning to the place, we welcome you all here in the Lord's name. It's really good to see you. And for those who have returned from your time abroad, in whatever country you were, uh, we're, we're especially thankful uh, for your safety in return. There's others, of course, who are unable to be here today. Some are in the mainland and some are in work-related issues. And our thoughts and prayers are with them as well. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Philippians chapter 1. And we're reading from the verse 12. Follow with me. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defence of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 20, and it's our prayer that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning it's taken from Philippians chapter 1, and it's really the latter part of verse 18, right through to verse 20. And my theme today is the Christian's happiness and hope in the midst of pain. When Handel Messiah wrote the Hallelujah Chorus, his health had deteriorated. His right side was paralyzed. All his money was almost gone. He was in heavy debt. He faced imprisonment. And in that dark hour, he composed his greatest work, what we know as Handel's Messiah. A tremendous composition of music, a real inspiration and joy to listen to. Maybe you're here today or you're listening on the internet 
And you're going through what you would say is a lowest period in your life. Maybe you've recently been diagnosed with a terminal illness and you wonder what the future holds for you. Maybe you've lost your job and you can't see how you're going to make ends meet or provide for your family in the run-up to Christmas. Maybe your parents or someone that you know is getting a divorce and you're sad, you're, you're scared, maybe you're angry and gutted at the same time. Uh, maybe a family member or a loved one has died and you don't know how you're, you're going to carry on. Maybe you even face redundancy or retirement and your life situation is going to change and you know that's going to have an impact on you and an impact on others. And maybe you're worried and, and you're fearful of that change. Now, whatever you're going through today, I want to assure you there's a message of hope and a message of happiness in the midst of your problems and in the midst of your pain. And the message is this. That God will, according to his eternal purpose, and wants to work in and through you in the midst of your suffering and pain. When I think of the Christian life, and I've been thinking about it all week, it's the best life ever. We could really say it's a grand thing to be a Christian. It's a wonderful thing to be saved. It's a privilege to be a Christian, simply to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour in the midst of the darkness and dearth of this spiritual world. But let me tell you something else. It's also a bittersweet thing. It's bitter when you're experiencing suffering and loss and pain. Let's face it. Nobody loves trials and troubles. We would have to say when trials and troubles come, well, that's awful. And it is awful. Yet providentially, our problems and our pain are never wasted in the plan and the purposes of God. You see, in everything to do with our lives, God is working out his gospel purpose. And the true saints of God often discover that God does his best work in and through us, often when we're in the midst of a personal crisis, just like Handel's was before he composed the Messiah. And I want you to remember that the Apostle Paul, who wrote these words in Philippians, was a prisoner at Rome. He is chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. He's facing certain death at the hands of Emperor Nero. And remember, he's in jail, young people, not because he's a murderer or a thief or done anything bad. He's there because he's really a Christian, because he's a preacher of the gospel. And here he is in prison, and he learns and discovers that other men, professing to be Christian, are using his imprisonment to make a noise and to make a name for themselves. And they're preaching Christ out of contention, supposing to add affliction to, to Paul's bonds. He's also aware that there's others who are preaching Christ, not in pretense, but in truth. Now, now what does he say about all that? His imprisonment, his pain and suffering, what's been happening in the outside? Look at verse 18. Look at the latter part of the verse. And he says, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice, 
For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. You see, here is Paul's perspectives in relation to his problems, his imprisonment, and his pain. And the perspectives is all important. It's how we look at our problems. It's how we look at our pain and our perplexing situations. And it's the look that makes all the difference. You see, Paul in prison is rejoicing in Christ. He is blissfully happy. He is full of joy. And in prison he hears of the preaching and the progress of the gospel and he tells us something and I therein do rejoice. He's rejoicing that Christ has preached and he doesn't stop there. He, he adds another little bit. He adds another layer to that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And what does he say? And yea, I will rejoice. Why? And here's the answer. Verse 19. The word for means because. I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. You see, he's telling us here that all his joy, his happiness, his gladness is connected to Jesus Christ and the gospel. And he has absolute confidence in Jesus Christ with respect to the big picture. You see, he is seeing life, all its pains, all its problems, all its perplexities, and he's seeing it through Christ. Now, no matter what you face in life, you've got to see what you face in life through the perspectives or the lens of Christ, through gazing on him. You see, what is true of the Apostle Paul must also be true of us when we face painful experiences, when we encounter grave personal difficulties, when, when friends leave us, or friends even stab us in the back and we're hurt and we're angry and sad and mad. Let's remember that all the things that happen, all the things that are going to happen personally, congregationally, nominationally and nationally, must all, as we see them, center in the person of Christ. That's the secret of happiness. And that's the secret of true hope. We dare not, we cannot bury our heads in the sand. We must bury our head and heart in the bosom of the Savior. How can true Christians experience happiness? And have hope in the midst of pain and suffering and problems. Well here's the answer. Consider the mercy of God's salvation. Or rejoice in the mercy of God's salvation. Look at verse 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. We'll stop there. For I know. The word for I've already told you is because. And he's already informed us, verse 18, yea, and will rejoice because. So he's giving us the reason now. 
Because I know he's telling us something he's absolutely sure of. The Apostle Paul was called by Spurgeon the optimistic prisoner. That would be a good title for a sermon. You see, Paul was gazing with eyes wide open upon Jesus Christ and upon Christ and the message of salvation. And he's filled with a clear understanding of what was happening to him. And he has got no question, no doubt in his heart and mind. He's full of confidence. He's full of assurance. He believes that his trials and troubles, even his imprisonment, his pain, they're all advantageous to him. If you think of what he says, for I know that this, what's that a reference to? That this. This could refer to his imprisonment, his pain and suffering that was upon his body. But could it not also refer to the whole of life's circumstances? All of God's providential dealings in his life. Everything that God has ordained and ordered. Everything that God directs and, and, and brings into his life. That this including the imprisonment, including the pain and suffering, including all that's happened in the past and the present, and even the future, shall turn to, and the word turn to means result in or, or the outcome of the matter, my salvation, my well-being, my deliverance. You see, I, I'm convinced that Paul was not just thinking of a deliverance from the trouble that he was facing, or escape from the trial, or deliverance from the prison cell, to get back out preaching. But also, he was thinking about his final salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, now, let me put it this way. In this prison cell, this is what Paul is saying, in all my painful experiences, surrounded by all these trials, I know that my salvation, my final salvation, is sure and certain. And when I stand before God to give an account of my life, on that day, it will be well with my soul. And if you think of verse 20, for he goes on to say, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also shall also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. See, Paul knows that it's all working out for good. Romans 8 and 28, something to remember in a bad day. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them are the called according to his purpose. And even in the midst of fear and doubt and change and trouble, we, we can still trace the hand of God in that. And it's all working out for the progress and the promotion of the gospel. It's, it's the gospel light and gospel truth being seen in those trials. And all that's happening to me is working out for the promotion of the saving work of Christ in my life. See, Paul was absolutely certain of salvation. He could say, I am saved. He had a Damascus Road experience. He could also say, I'm being saved. 
saved from the, 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 the power and the pleasure of sin. He, he's dying daily unto sin and living unto righteousness. That's the whole import of the doctrine of sanctification. And he's also saying, I will be finally saved. Now think of the words, shall turn. Is not future tense? You see, Paul knows that God is ordering all things for his spiritual benefit, even his trials and troubles. He knows that whatever he faces cannot and will not ever dissolve his relationship with the Lord. That God is working things out for his good and his spiritual benefit. That there's nothing can unravel that everlasting love with which he's held in by the embrace of God. That, that nothing, as Romans 8 tells us, can separate him from the love of Christ. There's nothing can jeopardize his eternal salvation. And what is true of Paul was also true of Job. Did, did you know that these words were quoted by Job? In Job 13, verse 16. Isn't that amazing? And Job could also say in uh, Job 19, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. He's thinking about the day of resurrection. You see, he's thinking about his final salvation. And what is true of Paul and Job is also true of every other child of God. The things that happen in life, even the things that we can't understand, now, now here's the encouragement, can never destroy your salvation. All of God's providences, even all the dark ones that we can't understand, they're not working against us. They're working for us. For the promotion of the gospel and the, the showing forth of the saving work of Christ. God is for his people. And everything he decrees is for the benefit and the blessing of his people. He doesn't act against his people. Remember the psalmist was able to say in Psalm 119. He made a tremendous statement there in the verse um, uh, 71. Uh, and it's uh, worth reading to you. Um, Psalm 119 and verse 71, the psalmist said, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. The true Christian, of course, is preserved and kept by uh, the power of God through faith in Jesus Christ. His or her union in Christ cannot be broken. No circumstance or situation can take us Take Christ away from us. And Paul is looking forward to that. And, and he's full of confidence. And that day for Paul, the day of his final salvation, is sure and certain. And Paul is telling us, I, I, I live in the light of it. In the light of the eternal day. Because in Christ there's a full and a free and a forever and a final salvation. And let trials and troubles come and they will come. But I'm going to rejoice, regardless of these afflictions. I am certain of salvation. You see, Paul doesn't allow his trials and troubles to rob him of joy. And we should learn that trials and troubles that cannot rob us of salvation 
And therefore we can rejoice. And we can rejoice in that salvation. And that's the reason that Paul had hope. And that's the reason that Paul was happy. His salvation was sure in Christ. What does Paul really know? I know the mercy of God in salvation. Let me ask this morning to you. Are you saved? Are you a true believer? Can, can you rejoice in Christ no matter how dark and difficult the day is? Because you've got the blessedness of God's salvation. There was a time when you asked him to be your Lord and Saviour. And you're, you're striving. Not, not perfectly. You'll never be sinlessly perfect. But you're striving purposefully. With, with, with a desire to live for his, his honour and his glory. And you live in light of that day when you'll hear, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou in to the joy of thy Lord. Remember, was not how Paul lived when he could say there in Second Timothy chapter 4, and I, I think of what he says there in the verse 6, for I'm now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. I want you to think secondly, he rejoices for another reason. He has hope and happiness in the midst of his problems and pain because of the ministry of the Spirit. If you look at verse 19, it says, for, the, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. See, Paul is thinking now of living a life of victory in the midst of his trial, in the midst of his difficulty. And he knows that he cannot persevere in his own strength and ability. It's not the mindset of Joel Olstein, who preached a sermon recently and entitled it, Be Blessed Rather Than Depressed. You see, that, that's not really true. That's not real to life. It's not that you don't face up to your problems. It's not that you pretend that the problems is not there. You can be blessed and still depressed. It's not that you block out your difficulties or your trials. It's not even the power of positive thinking. Paul never turned a blind eye to his situation, his circumstance. He didn't turn a blind eye to his pain or his imprisonment or what he faced. He faced up to them. And how did he do it? Here's the answer. Through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I want you to think quickly of the provision of the Spirit. Every Christian's born again of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches you must be born again. And the moment you're born again of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes in to live in your body. And you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, the Bible tells us, he is none of his. And not only that there, but we can be filled with the Spirit. The Bible tells us, be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And more than that, we can be supplied and sustained and strengthened by the Spirit. And what the Spirit, of course, does is he applies the merits of Christ in our life. The Spirit of God was instrumental in bringing Paul to Christ. And the same Spirit that brought him to Christ 
was still at work in his life, even though he was in prison and even though he was in pain. The same spirit was still ministering to him. The spirit hadn't forsaken him. And he knows the supply of the spirit of God in meeting his need. Think of the word supply. The supply of the spirit. That word supply means an abundance. A full supply. An overthrowing flowing supply. Think of the little chorus. My cup's full and running over. And this supply of the spirit is ours in Christ. Isn't it wonderful to know that even in trials and troubles when we face hardship. That the Lord Jesus Christ himself is blessing his people with an overflowing supply of the Spirit. Yes, we're born of the Spirit. Glory to God. Yes, we're indwelt by the Spirit. Yes, we can be filled with the Spirit. But glory to God, we can be strengthened and supplied by the Spirit of God. And you see, that was an assurance that Paul had. That, that, that was a promise that, 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 that Paul had. Because the, the Spirit of God in the book of Acts was promised. Um, I, I think of the words in Acts chapter 1. And in the um, verse 5, and we're told there in Acts 1 and verse uh, 5, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And uh, if we think of verse 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. The Spirit was promised by the Father. And Paul was promised that the Spirit of God would be at work in his life. Jesus said, I not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. And how does he come? He comes through his Spirit. The Spirit of God is called in the Bible a comforter. And think of the power of the Spirit. The, the Spirit of God bears fruit in our lives. And the fruit of the Spirit, according to the book of Galatians, and uh, we read there in Galatians 5 and verse 2 about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And the love that we have in our hearts, the joy that we have, the peace that we have, the long-suffering in the face of trials, the gentleness, the, 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 the temperance, the goodness, the faith, the meekness, they're all supplied by the Spirit of God. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what he produces in our lives. I want you to notice there's a prayer for the Spirit. And it's linked to the supply of the Spirit. The supply of the Spirit is linked with prayer. Prayer is linked with the supply of the Spirit. And Paul is encouraged. He's in prison, remember. And he's encouraged by the prayers of God's saints. They're remembering him before the throne of grace. He's far away in prison in Rome there in Philippi, hundreds of miles apart. They can't see him in a physical sense. They're wondering how he's getting on. How's he coping with imprisonment? How's he coping with pain? Uh, how's he coping being chained to that guard 24-7? How's he coping with what's happening on the outside and the news that he's hearing? And here's the answer. Through prayer and the supply of the Spirit what the church in Philippi were praying about for Paul would they not pray that he would know the power and fullness of the spirit in prison would they not pray that he would know and be aware of the moving and working of the spirit of God in his life even in his circumstances 
Would they not pray that he would be sustained by the Spirit of God? Would they not pray that the Spirit of God would abound in him and he would have a full supply through the Spirit? It had to be appropriate to Paul. Because Paul appreciates their prayers because he mentions it here. And maybe we could tie this in to the value of praying for one another. I could ask you to pray for me as the minister of the church here. I could encourage you to pray one for another, not just for me, but, but for each other. And, and, and think of ourselves as a family and, and the needs that we have one for another. Pray for the ministry of the Spirit of God to be at work in our lives. Pray for the fullness of the Holy Ghost. Pray that we'd know the grace of the Spirit of Christ. Pray that uh, the Spirit of God would uh, bring forth fruit in every situation and in every trial. The reality is we all need this. Think of the words in Luke 11 and in the verse 13. And we read there in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13, uh, tremendous words to do with the Spirit of God. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? We can ask for the Holy Spirit. And of course, Christ, remember, had the spirit above measure. And it said of him that he had the oil of uh, joy or, or the oil of gladness above his fellows. And you think of all that Christ faced in his life, his trials, his troubles, all the attacks that he faced physically and mentally, emotionally. Remember, he came to do the Father's will. He, he, he faced the cross. How did he face it? Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. And how did he do that? And the answer is through the help and aid of the Spirit of God. It was through the eternal Spirit, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12, that, it, that he offered himself a once and for all sacrifice to God. That the Spirit of God indwelt Christ above measure. The Spirit of God ministered to him. And just as it ministered to him, the Spirit of God ministers to us. It ministers in and through us. He's not just involved in our new birth, our regeneration, but he's involved in the whole of our lives. All that we need. The Spirit of God supplies. And Paul rejoices in that. Paul's thinking of that. And that's another reason for his hope. Another reason for his happiness. He's got the Spirit of God to minister to him. I want you to think thirdly and lastly. Here's another reason why he's happy and he's hopeful in the midst of his pain and suffering. He thinks of the majesty of the Saviour. If you think of the words in verse 19 of Jesus Christ and then think in verse 20, he mentions Christ twice. Let's read it together. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be life or by death, for me to live as Christ. And to die is gain. But Paul is saying here, I'll not be ashamed. I'll not be disappointed. Why? Because Jesus Christ is fulfilling all his good pleasure in me. Jesus Christ is enabling me by his spirit to face these trials, helping me to cope. Jesus Christ is sustaining and strengthening me by his spirit. And in a day to come, whether in I die or whether I live, Jesus Christ is going to be magnified in my body 
in my life. He'll not fail me. He'll not be a disappointment. He'll be magnified. You see, as far as Paul is concerned, this is what he's saying is, even if I live and get out of prison and go out and preach the gospel again and continue my ministry, Christ will be glorified. If I die and go to heaven, Christ will be glorified. And that Paul was very happy. Paul has got a great hope. And his hope is centered in Christ. Whatever happens, he says, in the past, in the future, in the present, I want Christ to be magnified, Christ to be glorified. Let me finish this morning with this true story. There's a pastor in the United States of America. He started out in his ministry and he just moved into the church and was preaching away the word of God. He's faithful to the blood in the book and his wife and children there's with him and they just moved into the manse a very short time and something happened. He was away out in visitation but the manse went in fire. The wife was in the house. Now the children got out safely but she didn't. She, she was badly burned in that fire and she was left greatly disfigured and, and disabled uh, uh, as well and, and they struggled with that the, the children grew up and of course in time they uh, moved to a different house and uh, I think the, the boy was 28 he had come through the fire and been saved out of it uh, and he was crossing a busy highway somewhere in America don't know what happened but sadly and tragically he lost his life he was killed 28 years of age you can just imagine Another blow for that family. Like, a, like another wave of trouble had come. Someone said to the pastor, you're going to understand his tears, his heartache, his sorrow. How could you cope with that? How could you carry on? How could you not be mad and angry at God? And this was his answer. I'm sustained daily by the grace and the Spirit of God. Because he had learned Paul's secret. He looked at life through the eyes of Christ. And that was his prospectus. He brought Christ into the center of the picture. Because it was through Christ he experienced the mercy of salvation. It's through Christ he's got the ministry of the Spirit. Because if Christ hadn't come, the Spirit wouldn't have come. And it's through Christ he can magnify the Savior. Think of these words. Whether it be by life or by death, Christ is to be magnified. He's to be uplifted. He's to be adored and worshipped. Oh, do you know if we could catch sight of that today? How to be happy, how to be hopeful in the midst of pain and suffering. Is it possible? Or is it just pie in the sky stuff? And the answer, no, it's a glorious reality. Because that's what Paul experienced. And that's God's will for all his children. And I just say this morning, whatever your situation, circumstance is, and, and you know what you're going through, let's, let's get our eyes off that. Even though it's awful. And on to the Lord. And remember Paul could say. The Lord said to Paul. In response to unanswered prayer. My grace. Is sufficient for thee. May the Lord bless you today.